three on the way. Good! And Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I'm Bob Schmidt, the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Lifelong Cleveland Cavalier fan. I'm trying something different here. Now, normally, we do these podcasts after games happen so that I can celebrate what is almost certainly always a victory. This I don't know. We may never lose again. Who knows? But today, I decided that I was going to try something different. The intention with this podcast has always been to make it more than just me simply talking or ranting or screaming or singing or whatever it is. Now, normally, somebody might go the way of having a co-host. I'm not at that point yet. It would have to be. I'll be honest. It's selfish. I like being able to work on my own schedule. I like being able to do these things right after a game, if I feel like it. Those are all benefits to me podcasting solo that would go away if I had to capitulate to somebody else. I already play second fiddle to my wife, so I don't need to have two bosses, okay? I wanted to bring on someone from an opposite team perspective to just have a conversation about our squads, and it just so happened that the next opponent on the schedule was the Detroit Pistons. And lately, I've been checking out one of the Pistons podcasts put forth by the Detroit Free Press. It's called The Pistons Pulse. And the guys on the show, it's an entertaining listen. One of them today said that he would join me and we would discuss our team's differences in a civil, respectful fashion. His name is Bryce Simon, and he and his partner Amari cover the Pistons in a fashion similar to how I hope to cover the Cavaliers on an ongoing basis. You can find him on Twitter at Motor City Hoops, and you can subscribe and rate anywhere you listen to podcasts. Bryce, thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you, Bob. I was excited when you reached out. You sent me the Twitter DM, and I, I was super excited. I, you know, I I Googled you and looked up, and I was like, <laughs> man, this guy, Bob is big time. Like, I'm I'm honored that you chose. Uh, the Pistons Pulse and myself to join you out of all the you know amazing Pistons podcasts and, and content creators. So I'm excited to talk Pistons. I'm excited to talk Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA in general, if that's where it takes us. Well, absolutely. To the Pistons specifically, I, I look at your team and I see a squad that I feel like in a lot of ways parallels a lot of what we saw from the Cavs in the last last several seasons because Altman, you know, fairly new, came in a lot of moves, like a lot of rebuilding and build back up from the bottom with a lot of youth and a lot of young guys. And Troy Weaver has been faced with much of the same. Take out the fact that the team is struggling this year from a wins losses standpoint. What's the general sentiment after what was a pretty active off season and definitely a very active last few seasons in terms of turning the roster over? So I will say spirits are pretty high, Bob, with Troy Weaver and what he's done. The Pistons completely revamped the roster. And in Detroit, we say a restoration. We do not say this team is rebuilding. They are restoring. And that that is a Troy Weaver thing. But everybody in the organization says it that way. So you know they've been coached up on that. You know, they got rid of Blake Griffin. They got rid of Derrick Rose. Landed Cade Cunningham in the lottery, which is huge. I'm excited to talk about that with Evan Mobley because I loved Evan Mobley in that draft. I think there's optimism, Bob. But it's going a little slower than what some fans are able to handle. The patience is starting to wear thin already, which I think is unfair. There was too high expectations coming into the season. The Pistons are two and seven right now. They did, you know, get a win over the Warriors on Sunday. But 
they just aren't very good. This roster is not ready to compete. This roster is not ready to get into a play-in scenario, in my opinion. So it's still a year or two away. And I hope the fan base can continue to be patient with Troy Weaver because the vision is there and the young talent and the salary cap flexibility is there as well. What do you think the normal Piston fan would consider a win? What are the, whether it be developmental priorities or improvement priorities that the fans are most hopeful to see? Yeah, I think that's where it comes. Individual player development, I think, is where this fan base is at. And that's why there's so much frustration around a Killian Hayes because he, you know, former number seven overall pick, the first pick by Troy Weaver in this regime. And he hasn't looked very good. And it's been even worse, to be honest with you, Bob, through nine games this season. Cade Cunningham, you know, he started out slow, but he's come around. He had a bad game on Wednesday night. Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, you know, they're trying to turn Isaiah Stewart I don't want to say turn him into. I think this was always the plan, but play a little bit more on the perimeter. You guys will see that on Friday night that he's trying to stretch his game out, be a little bit more of a stretch big because he's a little more ground bound. So these individual player developments, I think that's what the fan base wants to see for the most part. And if you don't see that and you're not seeing wins, then the frustration comes. To that point of individual player developments, one of the things that I thought was interesting is to see a team with so much youth go out and make a move like flipping Olenek for Boyan and then for Boyan to immediately become such a focal point in that offense and to already be extended. It works kind of counterintuitively to what you would think, but it's been so effective in terms of just on court results. Is there any fear he'll stunt the development? So there's a little bit of overlap with Sadiq Bey. And so I think what you're getting to is been noticeable at times. What I would say is this team doesn't have its second leading score. It doesn't have its its Robin to Cade Cunningham's Batman. And so Boyan can fill that role instead of putting Sadiq Bey in a role that he's probably not, he's definitely not ready for, Bob. And I don't know that he ever reaches that ceiling. So I think it's been okay, surprisingly. The other thing is Boyan is an incredible shooter. And this team is really not very good three-point shooting even this season. It was bad last season. So the fact that he even just gives that spacing is huge for a young Cade Cunningham, a young Jaden Ivey who needs floor spacing to do the things that are going to make them at their best. Now, is that sort of the intention? And, you know, because to see guys like Bay and Boyan who seem to be perimeter oriented guys out there and then to also hear beef stew is taking four attempts a game from outside and pulling away from the rim is that primarily just to give Cade and Ivy more room to operate in the middle or is it more of a situational thing where you know Isaiah is pounding underneath until those guys check out of the game and then he starts to stretch I think what they really want to do with Isaiah Stewart is play him at the four, Bob. I think that's the plan for Isaiah Stewart long-term. They haven't gone to it because Nerland's Noel, there's something weird with Nerland's Noel. Like he's only playing in case of emergency, which it's an emergency right now because Marvin Bagley III got injured and then Jalen Duran rolled his ankle recently as well. I don't know if we'll see Jalen Duran on Friday night or not. So they're a little thin up front. Um, this seems to always happen. Everybody makes fun of Troy Weaver for his love of sinners, and then they always end up short on sinners. It's a bad but, time to be thin in the in the front court uh, oh, going into a Cavs game. I'm, so. I'm sure we're going to talk about it. That's what, I would love to see him go with Stu and Duran to see what they could look like against Mobley and Allen, but then there's literally no big off the bench, Bob. There's nobody left after those two, and you guys will see this on Friday night. So I think that's the long-term plan. And so it would make more sense for Stewart to stretch the floor if he was at the four and you have a rim lob threat like a Jalen Duran or Marvin Bagley alongside him. 
I mean, Ivy has obviously made an immediate impact and is amongst some of the best rookies in the league. Um, very focused at getting to the rim. Do they all just collapse to him without the lob threat? Is that proving problematic? Yes, and that's why, Bob, I don't know what you thought whenever they gave Marvin Bagley III the contract they did this offseason, but a lot of people are like, what are the Pistons doing? Like, this is insane. Marvin Bagley came in and changed the offense for the Pistons because they simply didn't have a lob threat. And I think the organization saw what he opened up for these guards. You know, last year it was Caden Killian. This year it's more Caden, Jaden Ivey. I think Jaden Ivey's been really good. His passing was underrated coming into the NBA, in my opinion, whenever I did my scouting on him, even before he was drafted by the Pistons. He put so much pressure on the lane. He creates equal passing reads for himself and open opportunities for teammates. And I think when you get him a lob threat, that will be even better. In a way, like I look at this Pistons team and I see so many parallels. You brought up Killian Hayes. He's taken in the same draft just after Isaac Okoro. You look at that situation and you're like, okay, both our teams left Halliburton on the board. Both our teams left Vassell on the board. But like both our teams had other options. That one didn't go our way. But also you were in that scenario where your team then doubled down. And that was the same draft where they ended up uh, sending out Wood and bringing in Beef Stew and getting Sadiq Bey and that Luke Kennard swap and Bruce Brown and everything. Immediately in one draft, they bring in three guys, which... Shares a lot of parallels because the Cavs did the same thing. Kevin Porter, Dylan Windler, you know, Darius got that whole era. The Bagley thing, I kind of view that in the same light that I would have viewed what the Cavs did in bringing in Lowry Markinen, who's since been shipped out because he was a guy who was on the tail end of his rookie deal with the Bulls and had kind of fallen out of favor. They came in, they gave him a contract in that reasonable, you know, mid-teens range, which is not that different from what happened with Bagley here. It's really just, are these pieces going to complement and gel together in a way that everybody's individual improvements, since it's such a young roster, end up leading to some chemistry and to some wins and to some forward momentum here. The difference between our teams is that you still have a hell of a lot of cap space um, <laughs> to possibly be able to make some maneuvers even after this extension of Boyan. So it's certainly a team that last year, this was not a pushover for this Cavs roster. When we played the Pistons, they consistently played us difficult. They beat us, and Cade Cunningham, of course, just looked stronger and stronger as the year went on. I'm excited just to see what we get out of that matchup because I have to think our prize second-year players both felt a little bit you know, resentful of the fact that when it was all said and done last year, Scotty Barnes was the one who came away with the accolades, despite the fact that Cade was having a tremendous second half and Mobley was pretty consistent throughout the whole whole thing he just went down at the wrong time can I ask your thoughts on that rookie of the year race what where were you at with that as a Cavs fan so obviously you're watching all of Evan Mobley's games I'll just give my two cents real quick I didn't care that Cade didn't win it I still felt very strongly Cade Cunningham was the best rookie in the NBA last year because he was in a situation that no other rookie had to be in he immediately became the face of the franchise but what, what were your thoughts on the rookie of the year race I think by the end my only hope was that Cade didn't have enough time to run it down because I don't think anybody objectively could look at that last month or so and be like, well, Cade's not, I just hope that they've, you know, Mobley's was just a story of 15, seven, the whole season long, but then he missed those five games at the end of the year. And essentially to me, 
his resume and Barnes were basically identical. If you were voting Barnes, then you were voting Mobley as his fallback or vice versa. The difference was Cades was not a story of, you know, consistency and an even keel thing. It was look at this insane volume and peak towards the end of the season. I've never tried to get too hung up on rookie of the year because, of course, there's been ones I disagreed with. I didn't agree with Simmons winning when he wasn't really a rookie over Mitchell. Brogdon beat Joel Embiid. It doesn't mean anything in the long term, but my hope was after he lost to Barnes, I would have preferred if he lost to Cade, honestly, if he was going to lose to someone because Raptors fans are mildly insufferable uh and i respect scotty barnes he's he was a great player he's getting better like his ability to create and just his versatility is amazing but man to to hear them talk about it like it was an open and shut case any one of those three guys could have easily won it and i i wouldn't have had an issue um and certainly i wouldn't have had an issue i think it would have had less of an issue if Cade won just because barnes numbers were so similar to mobley and mobley was such an impactful defender that i felt like that he just he didn't play enough games. That's what that's what got him at the end of the year. So that's what was always interesting to me was people were saying, like, no, Scotty Barnes is without a question. He's done I'm like, no, there's no way you can say without a question about any of these guys. Like, as a Cade Cunningham fan and who watched every single minute he played, I wouldn't have said he should win it outright. Like, I don't even know that I have strong feelings that he should have won it. I just thought he was really, really good especially in the context of the team he had to play with. It it really bothered Pistons fans that last year it became about winning. And it just was a (laughs) weird season, right? Like there's because here's what's going to happen, Bob. I guarantee you. And I love the Pistons community. I love it. But this year, Paolo Bencaro is going to win it. And the Magic are going to win 20 games. They're going to say, oh, well, winning didn't matter this year. Well, it was different last season. You had two really good rookies who happened to be on good teams. And so it became a factor. Like this stuff is malleable and it changes from year to year. And like, it's not an exact science when you're voting for awards. No, certainly not. Fortunately, it's one year and then a little bit of residual stuff. We get five years down the line and it's going to be clear uh, who the winners in this draft were. And certainly Kate Cunningham has, he's putting up even better numbers this year. His percentages are pretty similar. The biggest concern to me, at least looking from an outsider's perspective, his second half, there seems to be somewhat of a tail-off, which may be just adjusting. What are your thoughts on that? Is that a concern, or do you think it's just the small sample? No, it, it's a real thing, Bob. It, it's real, and it's noticeable quite often. I don't think Cade wants to be a 25 field goal attempt guy. Just from the film I've studied, what I've watched, even going back to Oklahoma State, I, don't, I think he wants to be like an 18 field goal attempt a game guy. And I think you need to put a number one score next to him. That's the ultimate ceiling for this Pistons team is actually Cade's not the leading scorer on the team. He's averaging 20, you know, something in the low 20s with a bunch of rebounds, bunch of assists, really good defense. And there's somebody else on the team getting 25 to 26, 27 a night. And so I think he gets a little uncomfortable when his field goal attempts are 16 in the first half. And then they expect him to go shoot another 10, 12 in the second half, like 16 is a little high, 14. I just don't think he, that's who he is. I don't think that's his mentality. And that's a hard mentality to, to change. You would think that Boyan and Ivy, as the season progresses, I mean, Ivy may need to grow into that level of just feeling comfortable sure. uh, asserting himself more. But certainly it seems like they put the pieces around him to put him in a position where he doesn't have to carry so much of the offensive load. Yeah, there should be more usage, right? Jaden Ivey's going to take usage. Boyan is obviously, t- he's just so efficient. He doesn't take a lot of shots. Those numbers, <laughs> those numbers. I saw, I was looking this up because I, I, I was looking at the numbers a few nights ago and then they had the game last night. I'm like, well, I wonder how much things change. Boyan was like fourth in the NBA in true shooting percentage 
And ironically, number one was a Cleveland Cavalier, Dean Wade, which, which, you know, he's playing less minutes. He's not in the role where he has to take contested looks and get doubles and things like Boyan is. So for a guy like Boyan to be that important in the offense and to be shooting that efficiently, 50, 50, 90 guys just don't happen. Okay. That's what I was going to say. 50, 50, 90 right now. But by the way, shout out Dean Wade, small town, Kansas kid, like is a legend. Kansas a state. Legend. Yeah. Yeah. St. John, Kansas legend, small little school. Grew up in a town about the same size as what I grew up in, different parts of the state. I actually played his high school team when I went to the state tournament. But anyway, he is a legend in Kansas, and you just – I love to see it. Everybody in Kansas loves to see someone like that succeed and be as successful as he has been, especially from where he came from. Huge shout-out, Dean Wade. And that was such a critical thing, too, to come into the season because we're in that we're in that scenario where we have the four starters who could all potentially be all-stars. And then okay, that fifth spot – was, well, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Levert? Is it going to be Okoro? Is it going to be Dean Wade? Because they gave Dean Wade an extension. It was pretty yeah. quiet behind the scenes, and it wasn't huge money. It was three years, $18 million. But the fact that he was kind of fourth on the pecking order at his own position last year made you think, well, do they know something that we don't? Are they, are they going to give him a guaranteed role here, or is he going to keep being this injury-filling guy? To begin this season, he's been playing incredible in that spot. Okoro is all but fallen to the wayside. And now we're in this scenario where the biggest fear in this Mitchell trade was, did we overpay? You know, and, and I'm not talking about the picks because obviously those, we don't know what those will turn into. Everybody knew they sold the farm there, but to give up Lowry Markinen, who was such a critical floor spacer and Ochai Abaji, who was expected to be a big floor spacer. I think my fear going in was, well, you know, we gave up a lot of outside shooting. That's to say nothing to Sexton, who was hurt last year. Between Wade and what we've got out of Donovan Mitchell, just the insanely high volume of threes and the good shooting. Somehow that team, despite giving up all that shooting, has become even better from the perimeter. And they're the second best three-point shooting team in the league as of right now. 22 threes the other night against the Knicks between three guys, which had never happened before. Dean Wade gave six, and then Love and Mitchell both had eight. That's been sort of the story of the offense so far is just how unbelievably productive they've been and the high volume from outside when a lot of people thought we might regress in that area. And it might become a pain point because Allen and Mobley aren't necessarily stretch bigs. You know, Mobley's working towards that, but certainly I wouldn't call him a dead eye shooter yet. Uh, He's still more comfortable in that, you know, mid post area. So I've been pleasantly surprised by Dean Wade. And I think most Cavs fans, I mean, he's starting to embrace that spot that, you know, Anderson Verjao did. or Like some of these fan favorites who you're like, you know, he's not going to give you 20 every night, but he's there. He just makes these plays when you, when you were least expecting it. And you're like, okay, okay, I'm on the Dean Wade bandwagon now. I mean, there's something to be said for having a role, knowing your role and, and excelling in your role. And coaches love that. As a high school coach, I love whenever we have kids, you know, it's easy to be, it's not easy. It's easy to accept the role of being the primary scorer, right? Or the primary ball handler. Like every kid wants to do that, to be the first guy off the bench or the rebounder, or the stopper or whatever it is. Those things are a little harder to accept. So, you know, shout out Dean Wade again for that. I, I want to ask Bob, I've been thinking about like, I'm sorry to come on your podcast and no. ask questions, but I have all these things I've thought about today. Who has been the best fit for that fifth spot with that lineup? Because I saw a tweet, something about how Karis LeVert maybe finished the game on Wednesday night, but people were kind of questioning whether it should be him. Like, what are your thoughts right now? 
I think as of now, when they put Wade into the starting lineup, I mean, Okoro has had an objectively awful start. And we were in a position where when Garland went down, we had the luxury of being able to play both Levert and Wade in the starting lineup. And Wade, he's flourished in a fairly low usage role, but where Levert really stepped up was he became our secondary creator with Garland out, and we needed that. So he was playing a lot. But now with both Mitchell and Garland back, Wade's spacing which is better than Levert. Uh, Levert brings you a lot of things. He can dribble, he can create for others, but he's not the three-point shooter Wade is. There's a part of me that's started to feel like Mobley had a bit of a slow start. He's been ramping up as games go on and getting more productive. And I think a lot of that is a result of the fact that Dean Wade has to be respected. You can't just slack off of him, clog the paint and clog the lane because Allen deals with that night in and night out. I mean, he since he's an under-the-rim big He's getting doubled. He's getting banged around. It's tough for him. Uh, anybody who can give a little bit of additional space for guys like Donovan Mitchell to drive and for Darius Garland pick and rolls and things, I think Wade might be better suited simply because then you can spell the primary ball handlers with Levert off the bench. For me to say that after he went for 41 against Boston would sound blasphemous. It's just that almost seems like a luxury with all the firepower they have in the backcourt now where you're like, well, maybe it's a little bit better suited to try to stagger that offensive capability but it may yep. just become a de facto well they're both essentially starters by minutes it may not really even matter uh but i think orlando you brought up orlando earlier they have that obscenely huge lineup that <laughs> lends itself to being like okay well i wouldn't want you know a coro guarding bancaro who's lining up at the three that would yep. be a time that you would look at who your roster is and say okay we may be team to team depending on who they're throwing at us well, and the thing is, it may not end up mattering who starts, right? It's who's going to finish those games. And I think that's what I'm interested in to follow with the Cavs. Going into the season, I thought it was going to be Okoro. I thought Okoro fit really well. I thought, you know, they'd have enough scoring and, you know, maybe he could just bring defense. But it sounds like he hasn't had a very good start to the season. No. And so, uh, you know, that is disappointing just as a fan of the game of basketball. And I love the idea of Levert coming off the bench just because it's like, to have that firepower, like you say, like him and Kevin Love coming off the bench, like, are you kidding me? That's that's an incredible luxury. And then you can stagger the two guards. You can stagger the two bigs. You almost can play seven guys and be happy on a given night. I know you can't, but maybe in the playoffs, they might be yeah. able to do that. And plus, I mean, we've tended to have a lot of guys who run in peaks and valleys off the bench. Like Osmond started out the season yeah, looking yeah. like the best bench player. Now he started to tail off, which was sort of the story of last year too. It's nice just to know Okay, well, we can throw people at you in waves. If it's not Love's night, maybe it'll be Wade's night. Levert has definitely, you can tell he's aware, you know, I'm on a great team. I'm on a walk year. You know, I'm looking for an extension. He's doing whatever they need him to. Even in the night that followed up that Celtics game when we played the Knicks and he went for one point. I mean, he was playing lockdown defense in the first half against Jalen Brunson. So I find myself not caring if he's giving huge points production because he's been able to fill the role of whatever we happen to need on that specific night. And there's not a lot of guys on NBA rosters who can just be, okay, you need me to be a facilitator? I'll be that. You need me to be a scorer? I'll be that. And he's big enough, and the effort and team defense has been so good that his defense was huge on Jalen Brown uh, because that Celtics team was, I mean, they have two unbelievable players. And you're not going to shut either of them down, but Levert made them work for everything. And same with Mitchell. He was getting isolated on switches with Tatum, and he held his own for the most part. I mean, it's nothing but good vibes at the moment. 
adversity is when you really see that's when my opinions start to be like oh it's not all roses and rainbows so you know dean wade he went over five i don't know i hate him now you know but at least at least for the time being it seems like a luxury to have options of levert wade or if we really need to go small i mean we can even roll love out there in a center position if we're facing one of these teams who's just i mean you have those bad matchups we've got different looks we can throw at people but i think that's the depth that's one of those things that I've we haven't had that luxury in a bunch of seasons. And right now, between Rubio, Love, Osman, Levert, to be able to roll all those guys off the bench and still have what is arguably one of the best starting lineups in the NBA at this point is night and day from where we were when LeBron walked away. It takes draft luck. They've hit on most of their picks, but that's the same reason I get so excited about a situation like the Pistons are in because to have all this talent and to seemingly have talent at the different positions, you know, whether it be Bay and Beef Stew and Cade and Ivy and money, it's like, okay, this could go a lot of different ways. If all those guys grow independently, then you can end up with a balanced, powerful roster. Whether it ends up working or not, Bob, Troy Weaver had a plan. He set the plan in place. He has a vision. We can all see the vision, even as fans. And now it's whether do, do the draft picks hit? Does he spend the money wisely? Do these guys develop? There's a vision. And obviously there's a little luck, you, you know, or whatever you want to call it, you know, but the lottery pick with Cade Cunningham was a huge thing. You know, if they wouldn't have, maybe they'd have Evan Mobley. We'd still feel pretty good. There's a vision and that is what is exciting. And, and I love what you said about, you know, the versatility. Like you play Joel Embiid, you got to go with a different lineup. I love that the Cavs have that. You know, you have it in the backcourt. You can do different things in the backcourt. You have all these front court guys that can do different things. And that's, I think, the vision with Isaiah Stewart is, okay, you need to play him as a small ball five that stretches the floor. Okay, boom, he can shoot the ball and we can do that. If we're playing the Cleveland Cavaliers, okay, we're going to start Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Duran together. You have to have versatility, especially in the front court, because of how some of these teams are constructing their rosters. Coming into the game against the Cavs, what are your expectations? What do you think will play out if I had to just say, all right, what are you expecting? You know where your team's at. You've seen where the Cavs are at. Obviously, I would assume it's going to be a Cavs victory, but are there things that you're like, well, if we don't stop this, it's going to get ugly. The way it gets ugly, Bob, is if the Cavs absolutely destroy the Pistons in the paint, which I think we both know can happen, right? Like they're going to have an event. The Pistons start bogey, Boyan, at the four. I don't even know who's going to guard Evan Mobley. My guess would be Isaiah Stewart starts on Jarrett Allen and Sadiq actually starts on Mobley, which would put Boyan on... Either Wade or Levert, presumably. And if if it's Levert, ooh, Um, that's a tough matchup but you you know you watch a Pistons game they give up a bunch of offensive rebounds they don't have a whole lot of rim protection Stu does okay but it's not great and so that's where it could get ugly if it doesn't get ugly and the Pistons keep it close it's because they weathered that storm in the lane the Cade Ivy backcourt was able to hang around with the Mitchell Garland backcourt that's exciting I am excited me too I'm excited to see this I'm very excited about that especially after the games we got last season I mean it it was quite obvious how impressive Cade was and to see him with somebody who demands a little bit more respect in the backcourt like that I feel like similar to the Cavs you saw the other night when they beat the Celtics they did it with only one turnover for their whole backcourt like to have a second guy who you can't just throw doubles at the primary person it changed the whole complexion where do you stand on just the Eastern Conference in general? 
Well, I was wrong about the Brooklyn Nets, so we can start there. I, I thought they, they were going to be a team that competed in the Eastern Conference, and that does not look like it's the case. The, the Bucks, I got to watch them twice this past week. One game, the Pistons gave them a, a good game. The other one, the Bucks just annihilated. Giannis went crazy. They look really good, even without Chris Middleton. You know, you know Joe Ingles still recovering. They're not even fully healthy yet. The Sixers is interesting right now. I think it came out today that James Harden is going to miss a, a month, month or two, yeah, I think, with said. a foot. So I haven't caught any Toronto games. There was a team. Chicago was a team I was expecting to maybe actually take a step back because of injuries. They're kind of hanging around 500. I didn't know that Cleveland was going to jump into the top tier this year, Bob. But with some of the way things have gone down, they really might. Well, I don't think anyone totally knew because Vegas had them at 47 and a half wins, which would have put them, you know, in the lower half of the Eastern Conference. But now, I mean, even looking at the way it's been revised since the season started, the Pistons, they had it like 29 and a half over under Vegas did. And and now teamrankings.com has them at 23 and 59. So they're (laughs) not expecting, but the Cavs, they started at 47 and a half. And now the projections have them finishing around 56 wins so it seems it seems like perhaps people are changing their views somewhat on the Cavs I I think for me outside of Cleveland I was dead wrong on Philly so far I mean there's a lot of season left but we saw them in the preseason twice and Maxi was unbelievable in both first halves and my thinking was okay you got skinny Harden he gave some money back to help round out the depth (laughs) they bring in guys like you know Harold for nothing who, who seemed like an upgrade over just getting Drummond out of the way because I've always liked Paul Reed. So to see them in, in the preseason, I was like, okay, this is a team that's going to come out motivated. And B didn't get the MVP. He's going to be on a mission, but it just hasn't worked out that way so far. Of course, the Nets never expected that. My sleepers in the East would probably be the Raptors. They're just such a difficult matchup for everyone. So ridiculously long. And last year, they were a solid team, but they played you know, a huge part of the first half of the season without Siakam and to see what he's doing. Uh, I just figured he's going crazy. Yeah. Yeah, He's playing awesome. Triple double last night. And then, you know, to get any type of improvement from Barnes made you feel like, okay, well, this is a team that might be even more difficult. And certainly that's the, our one blemish so far is to that team who is just exceptionally long and so versatile and they all seem to be positive defenders. So I don't know where it'll end up necessarily, but the teams in the East, that are clearly playing above what I thought were the Cavs and the Raptors. And some of the ones that have stepped back for me would be the Sixers are not as good as I thought. And the Celtics, while they're still incredible, uh, their defense isn't, it's not where it feels like it needs to be. And that's probably in large part, Robert Williams, the third being out. That's obviously a huge thing. And that may be a game changer uh, when all is said and done. But when they added Brogdon in the off season, I was like, well, this is, I mean, the rich get richer. If Cleveland gets to the Eastern Conference Finals, that's a huge win. You know, even if it's sort of like the Spurs Finals where, you know, we get dusted. I'd be okay with that because I think we're way ahead of schedule. And Mitchell, I definitely was a little worried. We gave too much in terms of talent. I was a big Lowry Markinen fan, and I think Sexton was, you know, underappreciated. And certainly I'm happy to see what Utah's doing, but Mitchell has made me forget all of that um, in this in this short span. So hopefully... He can keep this going and the efficiency stays where it is and what he does to unlock the rest of the offense sustains itself. The, the Sixers had me fooled too. I shouldn't say fooled full because you're right. Like it's still early in the season. I was like, this is perfect. Maxie's going to take a jump. Tobias Harris can fall into the number four option, which all of a sudden now he's incredible as a number four option. And you brought up the Toronto Raptors. What I appreciate about the Toronto Raptors is 
is you talk about having a vision. That organization has a vision. They know what they want. They know the type of players they want. They stick to it. Everybody seems to be on the same page. I don't know that I agree with it. I, I kind of wonder what the ceiling is for this. Like everybody has to be between six five and six nine and switchable and everything else. I, I don't know, but I appreciate somebody who says this is what we think can win, and we're going to go all in on it. And, and I I do like that about the Raptors. What are your thoughts about the Miami Heat? They're a team that I'm never sold on. I'm not a huge I'm Kyle that, Lowry fan. I'm that way. I, their star players are older. I always yeah. end up discrediting that because I expect injuries. They just have these guys. I hate Jay Crowder with a passion. When he was <laughs> there, I didn't like it. Then they brought in PJ Tucker, who has just muted Jay Crowder to me. I hate him slightly less. I love Bam. I think Bam's great. Jimmy, like fantastic player. Don't know what his injury situation is going to be, but I consistently underrate them compared to where they finish. And I think it's just my bias, uh, probably because that's where LeBron went after he left here. And I just, <laughs> I can't, my heart is not behind giving them any more credit than I feel like they've earned. At the end of the season, you know, they're giving everybody problems and I'm just like hating life. So my wife has a huge crush on Jimmy Butler. And so the Miami Heat are like exiled in our house and we don't talk about And then, so I live in Kansas, as your listeners know, uh, we're going to a couple times a year, I go to Detroit for a game. Of course, I'm an idiot and I schedule us to go to Detroit for a Pistons game. And guess who they're playing? The Miami Heat. The Miami Heat. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, How did is- she feel about dreadlock, Jimmy? Did she see? Uh- oh, she, she saw it. She thought it was cute or something like, you know, she played it off like it was really cool. You know, like I just LeBron left Cleveland, Bob. My instant thought is, oh, my God, what if? Cade leaves Detroit someday. I'm like, I would be devastated. I can't imagine what it was like as an actual Cleveland Cavaliers fan when LeBron made the decision. Oh, I, I mean, it was crushing just mainly because I thought he had enough self-awareness to know how poorly that would be received in the moment. Truthfully, I wasn't as upset with him as I was with this narrative that the Cavs did nothing to put people around him. And that sustained, like despite any efforts I have, the story as well, you know, they didn't do anything for seven years. It's like, we went to the NBA finals, you know, they, the Cavs made move after move. I mean, they tried to, the problem was they were doomed the moment they signed that Larry Hughes deal that summer where they brought in Damon Jones and Donnell Marshall and Larry Hughes. That was Danny Ferry's like big swing, spent all that money on those guys. Hughes obviously failed. And then it was just, turning bad money into slightly different bad money. I mean, when we brought in Ben Wallace, when we brought in Shaq from Phoenix, when we brought in Anton Jameson, all those guys were long in the tooth and making tons of money. And it's like, were they better than what we sent out? Sure. But not that much and enough for it to make a difference. You didn't have picks. They had traded all the picks. The only pick I think they got after LeBron came in was Luke Jackson from Oregon. He was their only lotto pick. The best guy that they drafted in that span, arguably, was Booby Gibson or J.J. Hickson. Booby Gibson was a second-round pick. Hickson was in the 20s. So they didn't have, the cupboard was already bare when he arrived. And they got so good so quick, the one pick that they had in his rough rookie year where we finished with, you know, like 35 wins or whatever it was, was Luke Jackson, who did not pan out. And from there, that first you know, seven years, whereas his rookie deal and his extension, they did tons of stuff. I mean, they got Mo Williams for basically nothing. You know, they they brought in Jameson with Agoskis and then they got Agoskis back because the rule hadn't changed yet. <laughs> in a vacuum, the deals that they made, they lost Carlos Boozer in that bamboozling of Gordon Gund where he's like, oh yeah, I'll extend. And then he signed with Utah. But even in the aftermath of that, they brought in Drew Gooden and Anderson Verjao as the fallbacks 
for nothing, basically, from Orlando. And those guys proved to be franchise, like, long-term pieces. So I resented that part. Him leaving, I got over it, and I forgave him entirely when he came back because to come back and play for Dan Gilbert after what he did on the way out the door, I never thought we'd see it. I mean, basketball players are so—just look at Kyrie fighting with the media every day. Basketball players are petty and emotional uh, for the most part. And for him to have the big picture of what will this do for my legacy and come back, you know, that's water under the bridge in that regard. I'm just happy that the second time he left, we— cashed in and rebuilt a lot quicker because if you could say that we rebuilt in four years but that's only because he came back it would have been a long purgatory where we got Kyrie Irving and had nothing basically but we kept winning the first pick and Anthony Bennett and Andrew Wiggins it's like to get that kind of luck was unheard of it's funny now because in the aftermath we've had worse picks but this rebuild with Garland and Sexton and Okoro and Mobley has gone much better and much smoother because they've hit arguably they've hit on three of those four picks and then they got Jared Allen for essentially nothing. Nothing. Wow. So, so that has kind of expedited things and sped it up. So, but as far as LeBron leaving, I was upset he didn't have a little more awareness given what had happened to that city in the past. And ironically enough, Donovan Mitchell was at the decision. I don't know. Was if he? he yeah. I didn't know that. He was a kid, Greenwich, was Connecticut. Kid the- he was in the crowd that day. So. Uh, wow. It's it's a weird tie-in that it's all you know kind of come full circle now. And we're at where we're at, but I have no ill will. Uh, I got to witness a title that's only happened twice in my, you know, fandom over all sports teams. And one of those was the Syracuse Orange in 2003 with. No, no, Bob. I know. Well, listen, I mean, I didn't have Kansas ties then. I I just had. Hakeem Warwick with the block on Michael Lee in the corner. I'll never forget it. That was one of the greatest moments of my sports life. And then, of course, the, the, the best moment of my sports life was coming back from that 3-1 deficit and and winning the title. So hopefully, the Cavs seem to be trending in that direction. Um, but I wanted to get you on simply because I'm excited about your team, Troy Weaver, also Syracuse ties. So I'm yeah. a fan of his, and I'm a fan of anybody, like you said, who has a plan and a direction and leans into it. I hope nothing but the best for you guys, but I, I really appreciate. I wanted to uh, plug the podcast again. The Pistons Pulse is put together with the Detroit Free Press. How often do you guys drop episodes? Yeah, every Tuesday, we'll stay up Monday night after games to drop Tuesday morning. But every Tuesday, every once in a while, a special one. But yeah, if you like Pistons content, um, for whatever reason, um, definitely listen to Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Well, you got to keep your enemies close, you know? they should <laughs> People should be listening. So you should listen, you should subscribe, you should rate. Bryce, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast today. And I'm sure we'll have another one because we'll play you guys a bunch more times and we'll have more context, more of the season that's gone by and a better chance to kind of have a bird's eye view of everything. Yeah, thank you, Bob, man. This was a blast. Thank you so much for asking me and having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bryce. So there you go. Look at that. My first guest. Look at that cordial conversation between two fan bases. Now, I admit, I wanted to start with a team where I thought maybe tensions wouldn't be running high, but Bryce is just an affable man. And I think it was a good first step. So perhaps more of that in the future. Anyway, onward. More Cavs podcast coming. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Also, check out the Pistons Pulse. Like that. Throw that a review. Subscribe. Let Bryce know that his time wasn't wasted because I sucked up nearly an hour. I know you're only hearing 40 minutes of it, but there was 20 minutes of small talk beforehand. I can't back out of a conversation. That's the other reason I don't have guests. 
I don't know how to wrap things up. So I think this is pretty impressive that I kept this thing under 45 minutes. So anyway, Fear the Fro podcast, more coming. Thank you very much for listening. Till next time. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.